There are books, some big, some tall, that make you feel as if you're small. And like a kid who loves a story, you'll start to laugh at gloom that's gory. Because at the center of this tale, there is a man. It never fails. His love for kids you won't find touching, nor his indentured servants from other countries. But if you can stomach his dark fascinations, you may enjoy these provocations. Even if you find him unsatisfactory, there's great fun to be had in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Raul Dahl. And you're listening to List Society. Let's get Lit! <laughs> hey y'all, hey, this is Kari. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. How was your week? Good. I had an opportunity to participate in a a, a board charcuterie board building. Charcuterie. That's cool. Yes, which was pretty fun. Yeah, that um, sounds fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Learned lots of tips. Learned how to make a um, salami rose. Okay. Hey, life skills. That's great. A salami mm-hmm. rose. Hmm. Yeah. How about you? What? How was your week? It was good. I can't complain. Um, I've been out with nature a lot and saw a lot of deer in our area, which is always fun. Three bucks last night. Um, cool. Yeah, it was like 12 deer I counted in total. Wow, it was fun. that's mm-hmm. really impressive. Yeah, we're right by the city. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's really cool. Um, but there are a lot of parks out your way, right? Yeah, exactly. And forest preserves. So, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Well, cool. You know, one thing I did do that I really enjoyed also was create. We had like a Bloody Mary uh, chocolate night. You know, I saw you three times yesterday. <laughs> we three went times? to yes, we went to the farmers market in the morning. Oh then yeah, I, yeah. Then okay. I dropped you off. Then picked you up to run errands, and then you came <laughs> over later for dinner, which was awesome. Wow, I am out and about. I did not realize that. Uh, we had some awesome Pocky with chocolate and mint. And speaking of chocolate, let's roll on to our theme of the week. Each week, readers, we choose a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. And this week, the theme I selected is Death by Chocolate. Mm. Ooh. Are you scared? No. <laughs> no. Well, that'll that change. Oh, okay. <laughs> so similar to that episode where we talked about the twins, I think that's my sister, the serial killer. I'm yeah. going to regale you with a true crime that's not so crimey. I mean, it's a lot of crime. It's about the crime, but it's not like dark and gory. Well, it's dark. You know what? Let me just start. Um, are you familiar with the Victorian age, Alexis? Can you think of many authors by chance from that era? Um, are the Bronte sisters from that era? Sure. Yeah, exactly. No, you got it. Late 1800s, Queen Victoria making everybody, uh, you know, outwardly pure religiously while being really dark and scary privately. Mm. And that's the time we find ourselves in. Um, In one town of Brighton, England, the Victorian age brought architectural beauty, a railway system and scores of families just looking for like a new life, you know. Brighton was the poppin' town. And so all the families okay. that needed work and needed social status moved there and could like start over. OK, especially if you had money. Well, one day in Brighton, a local boy purchased a stack of newspapers from the depot and sold one to a woman who paid him in chocolate. Yay. Well, okay. anyway, moments later, his mother found the boy clinging to life. He lived, but not everyone was happy about it. They wanted him to die. Oh, mm. do you know anyone that's ever died of chocolate, by the way? And I don't mean like the sugars, diabetes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I don't know anybody. Well, uh, let me tell you then. Let's meet the well off Edmonds family. Um, Like I said, they were well off. They had the Monties. The father worked away traveling. um, But after he returned home from these traveling work trips, a baby would always follow. So he'd be home for a week and the wife about to have a baby. You like, wow, that was an eventful week. 
all their children were well educated <laughs> privately. So, like I said, they have money and the girls attended finishing school. And that's where they teach you how to like cook and write letters to your mother-in-law and curtsy. It's sad, but this is the Victorian age. Their family's um, place in society was going to change forever. They had no idea the Edmonds. The father began acting strange and spending a lot of money. I think they had to sell one of their properties, but he would walk through the house talking about, I'm rich. And everyone would be like, okay, dad, why are you acting this way? And then Ooh, he that's, became. That's so um, <laughs> 2020, like, 2021. Yeah, no. The dad is basically <laughs> DJ Khaled. So um, all the kids would be like, okay, uh, why are you acting this way, dad? And then he would give into these fits of rage and he would become furious. Can you guess perhaps what was wrong with the dad? Um, some mental challenges had entered into his life. You are correct. Can you guess why these mental challenges entered? Now I've set you up with context. Too many children or an illicit affair in a Bam! society. Oh, she's good. <laughs> Make that girl a detective. <laughs> yes, Alexis, you're right. So the father was indeed going insane. Ding, ding, ding. From syphilis. Now, how did this man with this one wife in Brighton, England, get syphilis? Well, it's these work trips he was taking mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and doing what he was wanting to do. And then he came back crazy. Well, listen, the dad had to be put into an asylum, of course. And with the stigma around hysteria and mental illness, everybody like started keeping their distance from the Edmonds family. And the Edmonds would be like, how come y'all don't want to come over for soup? And the daddy would be in the back like, I'm rich. I hate all y'all. Go kill everybody. <laughs> and so folks oh was like, mm, not today. Well, the family was shamed um, and mental issues became obvious also in one of their sons who may have picked up syphilis through the birth canal of the of mother. Course, of course, of course. Yeah. So that's really, you know, what you do affects more than just you. So the daddy is now um, he's died, but his family is ostracized and his son is put in an institution and is also, uh, you know, isolated, like isolated even further from society. And everyone's like really ashamed in the family. Now let's meet the Beard family. Okay, well, listen, the Beard family were like, um, you know, like Dr. Beard was the dad and the mom was like a very traditional mom. They had three children. Everyone you speak to today was like, yeah, they were happily married. If you know anyone that knew them in the Victorian age, they'll be like, oh, I know the Beards. They good people. Well, <laughs> if you know anybody that knew him during the Victorian age. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So we done left the Evans family full of like all types of stuff going on. And we've come to the more calm Beard family. And the Beard family seemed happily married with three children, like I said. But what people don't know is that Dr. Beard was keeping up like a series of love letters back and forth with a girl named Christiana. Mm -hmm. mm. A younger girl. And um, Christiana even like befriends their family and starts hanging out with the wife. It's like, you know, trying to get her foot in the dough so she can um, get her name on that deed. No, I don't know. Wow. In September of 1870, Christiana visits Dr. Beard's home. He's not there. And um, so Christiana takes like a like block of chocolate and stuffs it in the wife's mouth. She's Why like, hey, Mrs. Beard, bloop, and pushes the chocolate in Mrs. Beard's mouth. Mrs. Beard like, oh, this child, is your hands even clean? Well, hours later, Mrs. Beard becomes violently ill. When her husband, Dr. Beard, returns home, he decides Christiana was the cause and cuts ties after accusing the girl in person. Damn. Yeah, so he was like, hey, girl, hey, I know you poisoned my wife. I, 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 I know it was you. This is over. We can't keep writing letters to each other. <laughs> uh, and she was like, fine, this is weird anyway. And it wasn't me. I just gave her chocolate because she nice and I wanted to show her. And he was like, ah, bye. <laughs> and so she's like, I got to clear my name and get my boyfriend back. So... Soon, Christiana buys strychnine. You've heard of strychnine? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a poison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she buys enough to kill a slew of stray cats. But the strychnine isn't for the cats. Strychnine is a poison that twists the body of its victims, causing asphyxiation. So it's kind of easy to tell someone who's been poisoned with that particular substance. Mm. Why had Christiana purchased the poison? Of course, to exonerate her name and renew her relationship with Dr. Beard. Um, how does that work, ma'am? I was gonna ask you, how do you think <laughs> Christiana's mind is working now? How do you think she is connecting this poison to renewing her relationship with Dr. Beard? I want to hear your thoughts. Because you've um, been, you know, really on top of it. No, I, I don't know Alexis. the answer. To, I cannot get in the head of the um, people who are off a little bit or a lot. <laughs> That's offensive somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. I can't. I cannot get in the head of that. Mm-mm. Well, then let's find out. In 1871, Christiana began obtaining chocolate um, creams from a local confectioner named John Mayer. And John Maynard had been in business for like 18 years, a pillar in the community. Well, she in person bought these chocolates, took them home, laced them with strychnine and returned them to the vendor like these nasty. I don't want them. And Maynard, you know, it wasn't no pandemic going on. So he was like, well, I'm going to get my money. I'm selling these. And he'd sell them to the public, not knowing they'd been poisoned. She set him up with the okie doke. She did. Now, how do you think this would exonerate her in front of her boyfriend? Well, of course, it would look like the... um. The the chocolatier is actually poisoning the people. Yeah, it had nothing to do with me. It's just the chocolates in this city. I don't know what's mm-hmm. wrong with it. And truthfully, chocolate at that time did have a bunch of poison in it. It's like America now. You know how it's like red number seven and stuff yeah. in our cereal that you can't buy nowhere else in the world. Just yeah. poison for us. Yeah. Yeah. Our well, that poison. was England. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was England. So it wasn't too far fetched, you know, maybe. So let me tell you how bold Christiana was. She would like take note of people who bought the chocolate and show up to their door and be like, hey, I'm here to collect <laughs> charities for the church. <laughs> um, I have here on my list that you have two children. How they doing? And then the homeowner would be like, they were really sick. Um, interesting you asked, but they're, they're okay now. And then little Tommy and little Julie come running down. Hi, hi. And she'd be like, man. And walk away. <laughs> and the household would be this like, I woman. thought you was wanting money for the church. Ah, see you later. It's unstable. She Aww. is really unstable. Well, some would agree with you. Some? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So when the victims weren't dead, she would return disappointed to her home. And she was like, I got to change my plan up. So she decides to pay some boys to um, buy chocolate for her. You know, for the local basketball team. <laughs> I'm just adding that part. But basically, she was like, y'all buy the chocolate and resell them for your children's stuff. But let me wow. have them first. I'll hold them for a day. And then you come get them and sell them throughout town. And they was like, fine. So they would do that. They had a little hustle going. And this way, she would not arouse suspicion. Meanwhile, a servant one day saw Christiana playing with a dog in their hallway and later, the dog was found dead, its body gruesomely twisted. And no one suspected Christiana. Why do you think that was? Because she apparently is good at covering her tracks. <laughs> well, not really. She was doing weird stuff. like A showing- lot of weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she was still of an upper class family and a oh. woman. They don't accuse upper class mm, people. mm, Nah, similar to today, they was like, I don't know who keep poisoning all the people that hang around Christiana, but we got to get to the bottom of this. Mm -hmm. Christiana, go sit down. We figured out a case. Oh, rich people are never at fault. Never. And that's always true. It's the poor people. Yeah, that is true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So sadly, a family is traveling by train by some chocolate and a couple kids in the family eat the chocolate. One of them being a four year old boy. He um, comes down with like a real strong, intense case of illness. Um, the doctor is like, oh, he just ate too much chocolate and sends him on his way. But as it worsens, he goes to another doctor and the doctor notices right away the evidence of strychnine. Strychnine. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So the boy dies 
And Christiana is brought into court to testify against Maynard because people was like, Christiana always be over by Maynard. You know, she like love her chocolate. She got a sweet tooth. She ain't died. She can testify. Maynard is exonerated. And Christiana writes Dr. Beard. She's like, I was cute at the trial or whatever, but I hope this shows you that, you know, your wife getting sick that one day had nothing to do with me. Let's keep in touch. I'll see you soon, amore. And her letter was really weird because it was like Spanish in it sometimes. It was like a Spanglish letter, but she wasn't Spanish. It was just strange. And so um, Edmonds increased her poisoning campaign. She's like, I haven't heard for my boyfriend I gotta do this one more time and then maybe he'll realize Maynard is what? the culprit mm-hmm. and maybe at this time she had convinced herself that she wasn't doing nothing wrong you know all for love uh, listen to your heart and other dumb stuff people say all the time so mm-hmm. she begins sending parcels of chocolate to prominent persons so she buys up a whole bunch of poisons and a bunch of chocolate she's telling um like chemists that her and her husband are trying to get rid of rats and they like, are you sure? And she's, she's like, also yeah. married? No, she's oh, just lying okay. to people. She- <laughs> and so they're like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, we got to get rid of these rats. And they like, but you buying enough poison to kill an army. She said, it's an army of rats. And they <laughs> said, okay. And they would just sell her poison. And then one guy was like leaving town and had to sell his poison because he couldn't take it traveling. So he just sold it to her. It was crazy. Real loosey goosey. So anyway, she buys up all this poison, taints a whole bunch of chocolate and starts mailing it to prominent persons, including herself. She sends herself a parcel with her name spelled incorrectly. And she like, I'm smart. Okay, (laughs) this is real airtight. So, oh um, my goodness, what a story. <laughs> now, if you lived in that town at this time, would you be eating chocolate at all? Not not anymore. And not this just shows all. you the hold that chocolate has on people cuz Mrs. Beard gets a box and eats it and becomes violently ill. Now, Mrs. Beard, Wait. you just almost died from that girl shoving chocolate in your mouth. You get a strange package in the mail and you go eat it. Crazy. Oh, my goodness. However, a detective is suspecting Christiana at this point. He putting two oh, and two together and it ah. makes 44. Mm-hmm. And he receives the last piece he needs in his case when Dr. Beard himself visits the detective's desk. So Dr. Beard is like, listen, I you know, was writing this girl. That's as far as it went. And I didn't want scandal in the streets. So I let all these people be poisoned. But I think it's her because she had poisoned my wife. And everyone's going, yeah, yes, it's her. (laughs) So a group of witnesses are silently gathered who could positively identify Christiana in some way connected with the chocolate. Either they saw her in front of the store. They saw her with the boys selling the chocolate, just weird stuff. And so everyone starts putting the pieces together. Christiana sent parcels again to herself, claiming that she, too, was a victim of the poison. Received the poison, but why didn't you eat it? Oh, I don't know. People dying of chocolate. I wasn't dumb, <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't enough, and she brought the trial. Yep. So in January of 1872, her mother testified that both sides of their family had a history with mental illness. Now, we didn't talk about this, but as a teenager, I think when she was close to 20, she was diagnosed with hysteria. This is a time when her family is falling apart. So she is to be presented to society. Her father is in a mental institution. He dies. Her brother is sent away and she's diagnosed with hysteria. This is like a catch all phrase, though, for women at this time who Mm -hmm. showed any emotion. So who knows if she truly did? There there is no real evidence from what I've seen that she had a mental problem. There are a lot of people who are on the spectrum or battle mental issues and it don't turn them into murderers. This girl was just a narcissist. She really wanted the relationship with Dr. Beard to work out and she was like wholehearted and evil. I think it was very separate from a mental illness. Mm. But she was diagnosed with hysteria as a teen and then at her trial years later her mom was like, yeah, everybody crazy in our family. And folks was like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Dr. Beard also testifies he claims their relationship was never intimate. 
but insisted it was merely letters, you know, and I was trying to encourage her as a father. You know, she had lost her father. So I was just trying to encourage her, you know, and everyone was like, mm hmm. Well, wow. anyway, we do have a dead boy here and some attempted murder. So Edmonds, Christiana Edmonds was sentenced to death. However, the public was like, uh-uh, not one of our own. This girl is well-educated and comes from a well-off family. We ain't going to be killing women now. We just ain't going to do it. So they wrote a series of letters and had the sentence um, changed to just life in prison. Not just oh. life in prison. You know, that's terrible. Um, but they even let her, while she was like waiting her sentence, they let her wear her own clothes. They said they didn't want to like further injure her mind. You know, they brought time. in a manicure and stuff. No, I'm just kidding, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, but anyway, so um, her sentence was commuted to life imprisonment due to her mental state. And she spent the rest of her life in Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum, dying there of basically old age in 1907. And that is the case of Death by Chocolate, Christina Christiana Edmund. Mm -hmm. Any questions? Okay. <laughs> and the first story that you told with the women paying the child in chocolate, yeah. that's all Christiana. That was Christiana. She was testing at first. She was like, maybe if you die, it'll all work out. What I don't understand is why she needed to kill anybody. Because when she had shoved that chocolate in Mrs. Beard's mouth, Mrs. Beard didn't die. Oh, right. you know what? She wanted to go back and kill her. So my bad. So she was testing out this chocolate because <laughs> she wanted to finish her mission of taking out Mrs. Beard. That's right. So I forgot she about could that be part. the future Mrs. Beard. Yeah. And blame it on the local chocolatier. Like it was him all along. It wasn't me. And now your wife is dead. Let me comfort you. So the whole mission. Let me was bring over a casserole. Mrs. Beard Mrs. and take Beard. her doctor husband. Mm -hmm. Right. And this so is what a young I see lady. here, what I see here are two men who engaged in inappropriate relationships and how it affected everybody in their family from her dad to Dr. Beard and shame on the men. And mm -hmm. yeah, okay, Christiana too. All right, well, let's get into another chocolatey tale with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But first, let's take a break. You ready? Yep. Alexis, can you please give us some context? Tell us who Raul Dahl is and perhaps his motivation for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Raul Dahl? Ah, Raul Dahl was a spy, an ace fighter pilot, a chocolate historian, and a medical inventor. He was born in 1916 to Norwegian parents in Landaff, Wells. He was named after the first Norwegian man to reach the South Pole um, he went to boarding school after the tragic deaths of his older sister and father. Um, his boarding school memories are recounted in the story Boy, Tales of Childhood, which was published in 1984. And one of his boarding schools, Repton, he was given Cadbury chocolate. Well, not just him, but the, all the students were given Cadbury chocolate bars to test out. So that inspired him to write the book that we are covering today. Uh, he enlisted in the Royal Air Force in, at 23 during the Second World War and became a fighter pilot and would go on to supply intelligence to M-16. Uh, he was married twice and had five children and has five children. And in 1961, he helped invent a a valve that helped with bleeding of the brain and brain damage. In 1961, he published James and the Giant Peach, then Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for the James Bond film, You Only Live Twice, and for Ch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, yeah, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Mm -hmm. And Ian Fleming helped him with that, co-wrote that. Oh, James he, Bond. Yeah, he even wrote six episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, 
uh, and he died in November 1990. He's referred to as one of the greatest storytellers for children in the 29th century. He is also on the list of the 50 greatest British writers since 1945. Um, there has been some controversy with some of his writing and even some of his statements. He's been accused of being anti-Semite, a racist, and a misogynist. Of course. There is racism in our book um, with the Oompa Loompas, um, African imported slaves. Um, when the film was released, the Oompa Loompas were played by actors with dwarfism and they were given orange skin after they, um, after they received criticism from um, NAACP. Um, and while Dahl defended himself, he did sympathize with the NAACP's comments and rewrote the characters with white skin. Very interesting. So and these are, these are um, short statured, African people originally. Um, yeah, so for what I understand, they were the pygmy people. Okay, yeah, that's what I would think. Okay. Mm -hmm. <sighs> yep. These books you be having us read. All I right, know. well, thank you for that. <laughs> All right. Um, and now, can you please give us a brief synopsis without spoilers of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? I am. Um, okay, I, I'll just go with this one. I never could figure this part out. A cautionary tale for the greedy, spoiled, gum-chewing, TV-watching children of the world. Kari, do you <laughs> think, who do you think would enjoy reading this book? Yeah, this is one of the baby books that Alexis is always trying to make us read. And if you want some escapism that has nothing to do with anything in your life, then perhaps you will find this um, very delightful. I will say that I listened to this book. I did not read it. And I got a copy from Libby, which is the local library app. Um, and it had sound added, like dramatic readings. So that was kind of fun, you know, as I'm going yeah. on my walk run. So perhaps you'll enjoy that also. You know, it's uh, filled with whimsy. And um, I don't know, it did have a point and there were some parts to it that really felt endearing. If you're into that for kids books, you may like this. And Alexis, what were your first thoughts of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Had you read this before? No, this was actually a, a recommendation early on in the start of our podcasting career that I decided to pull out and take in. Um, so I hadn't read it, hadn't watched the movie. None of them? All. Nope, none of the movies. So I didn't really know anything about Raul Dahl. So um, I listened to it first. It was um, very lighthearted. So um, it was, I was, in, it was interesting. I like chocolate. Now I'm yeah. Questionable Timothy. about chocolate, so. <laughs> and Timothy Chalamet is um, starring in a prequel to uh, the films. All right, well, let's move on to do 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 our deep dive. Now we're going to take a spoiler-filled deep dive into Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Alexis, please take it away. Meet Charlie and the family. Okay, let's start with that. Once upon a time, in a small two-bedroom. One bed, wooden house on the edge of a great town lived a boy named Charlie Bucket. Let me tell you about Charlie and the family that he lives with. He lives with his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Bucket. Mr. Bucket is the only one who works and his job is that of the one who screws the cap on the toupee. And he doesn't <laughs> make enough money to buy one half of the things that his family needs. The grandparents. Kari, how does the book describe the grandparents? <laughs> they're very old. They're like in their mid 90s. And there are two rooms in the house. One has the bed. And so all the grandparents sleep in one bed with one couple on one side and the other and the other side. They haven't gotten out of bed in like, I don't know, 10 years or something, which what must the bedpan look like? You know, kudos to Mrs. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the mama. <laughs> She got to clean up for all these people. And then Charlie and his parents sleep in another room on the floor. Yeah. And he um, he has the maternal and the paternal. And they're both in there. All four of them are over 90. The eldest being 96. The family eats 
a humble meal of cabbage soup for dinner, cabbage and potatoes for lunch, bread and margarine, not even butter for breakfast. Still, they are hungry. They live near the chocolate factory and every day Charlie walks past the factory wishing he had a piece of chocolate. The family, however, saves their money yearly to purchase Charlie a chocolate bar for his birthday. And Charlie would nibble that bit of chocolate bar every day so that it lasts like over a month. Well, one Mm -hmm. evening when Charlie goes to visit the grandparents, Grandpa Joe who is the eldest, tells Charlie the story of Mr. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mr. Willy Wonka is the cleverest, the cleverest chocolate maker in the world. His factory is the biggest and he is an extraordinarily great chocolate maker. Mr. Wonka invented more than 200 new kinds of chocolate bars, each with a different center, each far sweeter and creamier and more delicious than the other chocolate factories. He ships worldwide. He even (laughs) invented an ice cream that could stay cold for hours. Ultimately, he's a world-class chocolatier. He even built a palace entirely out of chocolate. And as Grandpa Joe tells Charlie all these things about Mr. Wonka, Mr. Wonka, Willy Wonka. Okay. Mr. Wonka, (laughs) he tells that nobody ever goes in or comes out of the factory. And Charlie had to think about it. He was like, you know what? Every time I walk past it, it does look closed. Yeah, you might be right, Grandpa Joe. So Grandpa Joe then tells Charlie that at one time there used to be thousands of workers at the factory. And then one day, Mr. Wonka asked him to leave and never come back because he was concerned about spies stealing his secrets. So what happened Because they were stealing their secrets. Yes, the spies were taking jobs, pretending to be ordinary workers. And they find out what he made and then go back and tell the other people. Stealing. Mm -hmm. So there would be a ice... uh, um, ice cream shop where the ice cream never melted or a gum shop where the gum never got stale stuff only Willy Wonka had thought of all of a sudden finding its way outside of the factory mm-hmm. so he closed the factory he told everybody get out and he closed the factory for months and then one day they saw um, that the factory was working again they saw white smoke coming out of chimneys but no one ever came out or went in So that was interesting. That evening when Mr. Bucket arrived home, that is um, Charlie's father, he shared news that the Wonka factory is being open to a chosen few and all they had to do was find the golden ticket. Evening Bulletin! Mr. Willy Wonka, the candy-making genius who nobody has seen for the last 10 years, sent out the following notice today. I, Willy Wonka, have decided to allow five children, just five, mind you, and no more, to visit my factory this year. These lucky five will be shown around personally by me and they will be allowed to see all the secrets and the magic of my factory. Then, at the end of the tour, as a special present, all of them will be given enough chocolates and candies to last them for the rest of their lives. So watch out for the golden tickets. Five golden tickets have been printed on golden paper, and these five golden tickets have been hidden underneath the ordinary wrapping paper of five ordinary candy bars. These five candy bars may be anywhere, in any shop, in any street, in any town, in any country, in the world. Upon any counter where Wonka's candies are sold. And the five lucky finders of these five golden tickets are the only ones who will be allowed to visit my factory and see what it's like now inside. Good luck to you all and happy hunting. Signed, Willy Wonka. The invite was for just the 
five children to visit his factory and these five will be shown around the factory and see the secrets of his factory. And at the end of the tour, all the children will be given enough chocolate and candies to last them for the rest of their lives. The golden tickets are printed on golden paper and they are underneath ordinary wrapping paper of five candy bars. Now, Grandpa Joe is next level excited. Okay, he is like, ooh, Charlie can get in there. But then he says, um, um, Grandpa George, actually, I think it's the grandma. She's the reasonable. She said, listen, <laughs> it's a whole bunch of kids out there with more money than us. OK, and the ones that's going to get it are the ones that can afford to buy a candy bar every day. OK, yeah. Or five or ten. Charlie, you get one candy bar a year a on year. your birthday. Mm-hmm. Come on. You ain't going to win, baby. You ain't going to win. But Charlie's <laughs> birthday is next week. So it is possible. Right. Maybe. All right. Kari, let's discuss who found the ticket. Who was the first person? Uh, the first person to find the ticket, I think, was the girl whose daddy owned the peanut shop. No, Augusta Gloop. Oh, Augusta Gloop. It's just a kid that likes to eat and his parents are proud of it because they like all food contains vitamins. So it's just because our, you know, little baby weigh as much as a 20 full grown man don't mean nothing bad. We love to encourage him. Mm -hmm. So he just sit around and eat chocolate all day now looking for the ticket and he found it. That's right. He is powerfully plump nine year old. Okay. All right. So the excitement of him finding that it sends the whole country into a candy buying frenzy. A famous gangster robbed a bank of $5,000 and spent all the money on candy bars. And when the police found him, he they saw him ripping open the wrappers with a long dagger. Okay, these are adults <laughs> now. In Russia, a woman called Charlotte Ruse mm-hmm. claimed to have found the second ticket, but it was a fake Mm-hmm. In England, a scientist invented a machine that would tell tell you without opening the candy bar if the golden ticket was in it or not. <laughs> I mean, these are adults, folks. <laughs> Who was the second child, Kari? Uh, I think the second child then was this girl whose dad owned a peanut factory. Yeah. And he was like, as soon as my little girl told me she had to have one of these golden tickets, I told all the women in my shop, stop. Hulling, what you call it, peanuts, husking peanuts, whatever. Stop doing that. Now your job is to unwrap all these chocolate bars. And he bought a bunch of chocolate bars and one of the workers found it. He said every time he returned home without a chocolate bar, his daughter would go into these fits that just made the (laughs) household so unlivable. He knew he had to find that golden ticket. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. And the grandparents are watching this on the news like all these kids need to be beat. <laughs> They're reading it in the paper, not on TV. But yeah, oh, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. And so that is Veruca Salt, mm-hmm, the Salt family. Okay, so then on Charlie's birthday, he received his candy bar, Wonka's Wimple, Wimple Scrumptious Fudge Mellow Delight. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that all of the whimsy and goofiness in the story, it really does fill me with joy. I mean, <laughs> um, problematic issues aside, uh-huh. at this point of the story, I'm really having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And in eager expectation, they opened the chocolate bar to find that, of course, Charlie did not have the golden ticket. Okay. Disappointed. He was reminded he still had the chocolate bar. Okay, so Kari, who receives the next golden ticket? I'm not sure. Is this the gum girl? Yes. So it's a girl who like is trying to get in the world's record for chewing gum. She's chewed her gum for like, I think, two years or something crazy. And she whenever she's done chewing it, she just puts it behind her ear. And when she's ready to chew it, she gets it from behind her ear and eats it again. (laughs) When she gets gum, when she's chewed gum for a really long time, she puts it on like, I think the train or something. Some button people have to push. On the elevator, girl. Oh, on the elevator. And she stands to the side and watches somebody push her dirty gum and shriek. And she says she especially loves it when it's women with nice gloves on. So she's a terrible person. Yeah. And then the next child. 
uh, this is the boy who loves gangster films or just TV in general. Gangster films. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So his last name is TV and all he does is sit and watch violent movies all day. And he's very curt to his parents and a uh, very uh, hateful child, mm-hmm. hate filled child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he won. He got it. Yeah. So after hearing about Mike TV and Violet, um, which is the chewing gum child, Grandma Georgina said, as sure as I'll be having cabbage soup for supper tomorrow, that ticket will go to some nasty little beast who doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Throw all these kids in an incinerator. Exactly. That's, that's the grandparents. The final golden ticket. The next day when Charlie came home from school, he went to his grandparents' room and Grandpa Joe was awake while the others snored. He gave Charlie a 10 cent piece and told him, go on and buy the chocolate, baby. Go on. I, I want you to win. Charlie asked his grandfather. Wait, he, but but is, this is cute because Charlie comes home after school and the grandpa's like, and so he goes to the grandpa's side and the grandpa pulls a purse from under his pillow. He's like, I got a whole bunch of money you don't nobody know about. <laughs> and he look in there and it's just like, you know, 10 cents. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, take this, get you some chocolate, okay? Uh-huh. I love you, baby. Uh-huh. It's really cute. And then off Charlie goes to buy a candy bar. He purchased Wonka's Nutty Crunch Surprise. Unfortunately, there is no golden ticket. Time passes. But they share the chocolate together and it's a really endearing moment. Because Charlie is so self-sacrificing. He's like, you bought it, Grandpa. You tear it off. And so the grandpa's like so excited. He's like, you know, this ain't gonna work, right? And Charlie's like, I know, but it's fun. (laughs) And so (laughs) they tear it off and there's nothing there, but they eat the chocolate. It's really cute. It is. So time passes, a deep freeze hits, the wind arrives. It's the winter, y'all. It's cold. The house is cold. It's cold outside. And that cold air is coming into the house. The daddy loses the job. And when he finds another, it's still not enough. And the family is starving. The adults try to give Charlie their food, but he refuses it. They're like, that boy is growing. He need more food. Charlie tries to conserve his energy by doing everything slowly so he don't run to school no more. He leave, what did he say, an hour early so he could walk slowly to school to conserve his energy. And then, you know, the family is starving. They're literally starving. They can't eat they, they full meals they was eating the other day. I mean, before they were starving. They got to cut back. Mm-hmm. So then... One day, um, walking home from school with snowy and whatnot, Charlie found a dollar. Can you believe that? A dollar. Charlie, 50 pence. Charlie went and bought a candy bar. He did. He didn't give it to his family knowing they starving to death. He was Mm-mm. like, mm, I'm going to think about myself for once. For once. I'm just going, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going, you know, I've been holding back on eating my parents and grandparents food. I'm going to just buy me a chocolate bar. I'm going to buy me a chocolate bar. And then I'll get the rest of the money to my mama. So yeah. he bought, you know, that special favorite that he got for his birthday. Wonka's Whipple uh, Scrumptious Fudge Mellow Delight. And he opened it and he ate it so fast. The shopkeeper was like, "Ooh, slow down, baby. You gonna have a stomach ache. Not the kind that kills you, though. When Charlie received his change back, he just saw all those little shiny coins. And he was like, I think I'm gonna get one more candy bar. What? <laughs> he said, I think I'm gonna get one more candy bar. Okay. And so Charlie. The whole family got to eat. And this boy is in the shop. Just one more, one more, one more. Hunger takes away dignity. I know that's real. One more. So Charlie tore off the wrapper. And guess what, Kari? (laughs) There's a golden ticket. That was a golden ticket. Now, you know, when he ate that first one, it was just pure hungry. He wasn't thinking about no golden ticket. (laughs) Now... He just saw it. It was just standing there. Next thing you know, there's a crowd of people trying to buy the ticket from Charlie. And the storekeeper um, protected him a bit and told him, won't you go straight home and don't let nobody have that ticket. (laughs) Greetings to you, the lucky finder of the golden ticket from Mr. Willy Wonka. I shake you warmly by the hand. 
tremendous things are in store for you. Many wonderful surprises await you. For now, I do invite you to come to my factory and be my guest for one whole day. You and all others who are lucky enough to find my golden tickets. I, Willy Wonka, will conduct you around the factory myself, showing you everything that there is to see. And afterwards, when it is time to leave, you will be escorted home by a procession of large trucks. These trucks, I can promise you, will be loaded with enough delicious eatables to last you and your entire household for many years. If at any time thereafter you should run out of supplies, you have only to come back to the factory and show this golden ticket. And I shall be happy to refill your cupboard with whatever you want. In this way, you will be able to keep yourself supplied with tasty morsels for the rest of your life. But this is by no means the most exciting thing that will happen on the day of your visit. I am preparing other surprises that are even more marvelous and more fantastic for you and for all my beloved golden ticket holders. Mystic and marvelous surprises that will entrance, delight, intrigue, astonish, and perplex you beyond measure. In your wildest dreams, you could not imagine that such things could happen to you. Just wait and see. And now, here are your instructions. The day I have chosen for the visit is the first day in the month of February. On this day, and on no other, you must come to the factory gates at 10 o'clock sharp in the morning. Don't be late! And you are allowed to bring with you either one or two members of your own family to look after you and to ensure that you don't get into mischief. One more thing, be certain to have this ticket with you you will not be admitted signed Willy Wonka okay so now we know Charlie received the ticket just in time because the visit was the next day yes yes and Grandpa Joe volunteered to go with Charlie now remember Grandpa Joe is 96 he'd been in bed for years you know he ain't doing nothing active but he volunteered to go into the factory when the big day arrives, the children are greeted by Mr. Wonka himself. He had a black top hat, a tail coat made of plum colored velvet, velvet, um, bottle green trousers, and his gloves were pearly gray. And in one hand, he had a gold top walking cane. He had a black beard and a gold tee, and he was full of fun and laughter. A joyous man, if you will. Mr. Wonka guided the families through the main corridor and told them that they were now going underground. All the most important rooms in the factory are deep down below the surface. They're larger than football fields. No building is large enough to house them. <laughs> As he guides them down the steep slope, they arrive at the chocolate room. Kari, what happens in the chocolate room? What happens in the chocolate room? Is that where the waterfall is? Yes. And it's frothing the chocolate, making yeah. it, you know, well mixed and creamy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a waterfall to a chocolate river. Yeah. Everything in the chocolate room was edible, um, right down to the grass. Oh, the grass. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> and Mr. Wonka tells everybody, try a blade. Well, everybody except Augusta Gloop. Okay, that's the powerfully plump <laughs> child, took a handful. And then they saw uh, them. Who? The Oompa Loompas. No larger <laughs> than medium-sized dolls. No one believed they were real. Kari, what's the story of the Oompa Loompas? Uh, they came, they were living in a country, uh, basically in Africa. Um, and they really loved cacao beans, but they didn't have enough or something. So they would eat like bugs and live in tree houses. And so Willy Wonka and his benevolent spirit uh, went there and saved them from themselves and mm -hmm. climbed into the trees and was like, if you work for me, I'll give you all the cacao beans you want because that's what chocolate is made of. And they was like, what? Forget this life. We coming with you, sir. <laughs> and he put them in a bunch of crates with holes in them and shit for real, y'all, and shipped them across the uh, water to England to work for him. And he like they sing all the time and play little jigs and stuff and they're little pranksters. Yeah. Ooh. It's really gross. The Oompa Loompas are mischievous and they like jokes and singing. 
Well, suddenly, Veruca saw it, the spoiled little girl, told her father she wanted a Oompa Loompa right away to take home. And meanwhile, Augustus Gloop, the powerfully plump kid, was scooping hot melted chocolate into his mouth. And when Mr. Wonka saw him, he begged him not to do that. The chocolate can't be touched by human hands. And then suddenly, Augustus Gloop disappeared under the chocolatey surface. His mother screamed for him to be saved because he couldn't swim. Mr. Gloop Mm -hmm. refused to dive in as he had on his best suit. And Augusta was yelling for help. Suddenly, he was sucked into a pipe. Mr. and Mrs. Gloop were taken by the Oompa Loompas to the fudge room to retrieve him while the Oompa Loompas sung a song about the great, big, greedy nincompoop Augustus Gloop. And the tour went on. Then they took a giant yacht oared by the Oompa Loompas to the next location. It was the inventing room. Everlasting gobstoppers and hair toffee. I I don't know. What is a (laughs) gobstopper? Excuse me? That's actually an actual candy you can buy now. But what is it? Is it chewy? No, it's like uh, a large hard candy. Huh. Okay. All right. Like a jawbreaker is oh, what I a think. Jawbreaker. Of. Okay. That's what I was thinking of a jawbreaker. Well, when they get into oh, this but room, I'm wrong. Oh, I'm, they are also known as jawbreakers in the United States. Oh, okay. So I know jawbreakers, but I don't know gobstoppers. Mm-hmm. All right. So he <laughs> gave them instructions: don't touch, don't meddle, don't taste, and everyone agreed. Mister Wonka then showed him his great gum machine. It was his chewing gum machine. One strip of gum was a whole three-course dinner by itself. Well, recognizing it as gum, the gum-chewing Violet took the gum and began chewing. She tasted the soup, the roast beef, the blueberry pie as her mother encouraged her. Mr. Wonka shouted for her not to chew the gum. It wasn't quite ready for consumption as it is and still in its testing phase. Suddenly, Mm-mm. Violet turned purplish blue like the color of blueberry juice and then blew up like a blueberry balloon. And Mr. Wonka called for the Oompa Loompas to take Violet off to the juicing room for juicing. They came and rode her away and the parents follow. The remaining children continued the tour as the Oompa Loompa sang a song about the repulsive little bum who was always chewing gum. (laughs) Can I just say, I didn't hear you talk about the rooms in the chocolate factory. Um, And they're pretty funny. Like there's one for whips and the parents are like, oh, what's going on in here? Why you got a whole room for whips? And he's like, for whipping cream, of course, (laughs) just like poached (laughs) eggs are eggs that are stolen from the forest. (laughs) And then um, it's another one. He was like uh, uh, chocolate cream and uh, whipping cream and hair cream. And they like hair cream. He's like moving on. And then the last one is like beans, jelly beans and has beans. And someone goes, has beans. And Willy Wonka goes, yep. And you're one of them. (laughs) Moving on. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> okay. The next stop <laughs> was the nut room. In the nut room, you could see a hundred squirrels sitting on high stools around a large table shelling walnuts at a great speed. They were not to enter the room. <laughs> Who entered the room? Immediately. Veruca that saw bad it. kid that mm-hmm. wants everything she sees and her dad gets it for her. Yeah. She decided she needed a trained squirrel. Well, while Mr. Salt pressured Mr. Wonka to sell him a squirrel, Mr. Wonka insisted they were not for sale and Veruca could not have one of his squirrels. Veruca says, who says I can't? Charges into the nut room. Mr. Wonka tried to stop her, but it was too late. The squirrels peered at her and then attacked. Oof, my worst nightmare. They pinned her. You have a squirrel phobia. Yes, I do. They (laughs) pinned her arms, her legs, anchored her to the ground, and then they started testing her as if she was a nut, tapping on her head. They decided she was a bad nut, threw her down the garbage chute. Whew. Mrs. Salt, (laughs) frantic, demanded that Mr. Walker save their daughter. Mr. Walker said he can't save her. Shoot. 
She going down the incinerator. Yeah, she but maybe they didn't turn on the fire today. So maybe she she won't be incinerated. I don't know. Maybe. Can't be too sure. As Mm -hmm. Mr. and Mrs. Saw rushed into the nut room um, to rescue their daughter, they're looking down this garbage chute and they pushed and um, the squirrels squirrels pushed them them. (laughs) down the chute. Yeah. And the Oompa Loompas Mm -hmm. began another song. Veruca Saw, the little brute, has just gone down the garbage chute. Mr. Wonka assured the <laughs> remaining two families that other children would come out in the wash. And on the tour, <laughs> they went. And on with the tour, they went. Now, Mike TV decided he is tired and he wants to watch TV. So Mr. Wonka says they should just take the elevator and on to the great <laughs> glass elevator they go. Now, this great glass elevator has buttons to many floors. They all got these cute little names and the elevator can go sideways, long ways, slant ways, any way you can think of really. And Mike TV is ready to sit down and watch TV. So he asks, isn't there a button for television? And lo and behold, there is a television chocolate button. After a (laughs) harrowing ride on the great glass elevator, they stop at the television chocolate floor. And before they get off, Mr. Wonka tells everyone to be careful. There is dangerous stuff in this room. Mr. Wonka hands each person a pair of dark glasses and tells them not to take them off or the light could blind them. All right, Kari, can you describe this television chocolate room? It's like almost in space. And on one end, there's a very large camera that the Oompa Loompas are cleaning the lens of. And um, it's all white. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Mr. Wonka tells them this is a testing room for his latest and greatest invention, the television chocolate. He plans to take a giant piece of chocolate, tells them, it's going to send the chocolate bar whizzing through the air and tiny and it'll come out in tiny pieces and then put the pieces together at the other end all ready to be eaten. The Oompa Loompas bring in the large chocolate and prepare it for change. They have on protective suits and they put the chocolate in front of the camera and out comes a small bar of chocolate in the middle of the TV screen. And Charlie and Grandpa Joe eat it. It's fantastic. Well, Mike TV sees what happens to the chocolate bar. He is like super excited about this TV device and he wants it to happen to him. What does he do, Kari? He like hops inside of the camera lens. Mm-hmm. Mr. Wonka says this is not ready for real life people. OK, it's not. I mean, but it could if it I mean, it's possible, but it's not ready. OK, it's, we're just <laughs> not there yet. So Mike is off and running toward the camera, shouting that he's going to be the first person in the world to be sent by television. OK, and Mr. Wonka cries, no, no. And Mr. and Mrs. TV tell him to stop, but it's no use. Mike disappears and then finally comes out as a tiny version of himself. And then he get out and he talking slick. So his father is like frustrated <laughs> and it says, you know what? Get in my pocket. And he puts him in his pocket. Well, he's on his mom's hand first, like biting her fingers, <laughs> jumping up and down because he want to watch TV. Yeah, he having a tantrum in her hand. Mm-hmm. It's small size. Mm-hmm. Having a tantrum in her hand. Yeah. So he puts him in his little pocket. Mr. TV says he's getting rid of the TV. And of course, as I stated, he put the little tantrum having Mike into his pocket. Desperate to have their son return to normal size, Mr. Wonka calls for the Oompa Loompas to come and take Mr. and Mrs. TV to the gum stretching machine where they may help Mike TV recover. As the Oompa Loompas direct the TVs away, they sing the most important thing we've learned so far as children are concerned. Never, never, never let them near your TV set. And there you go. (laughs) Mr. Wonka realizes that Charlie is the only child left and on to the great elevator they go. And Mr. Wonka selects up and out he's excited that charlie is the only last 
only child left, he said he kind of knew early on that he would be. So the elevator shoots up like a rocket right through the roof of the factory and hovers like a helicopter above the city. (laughs) Then Mr. Wonka notices the other children below are leaving out. So he directs the glass elevator to go closer to see them leave. They are all changed. Kari, how have they changed? Um, oh, so Violet is still blue, but she's not a blueberry anymore, but she's still very Violet. Um, and then the boy from the TV is stretched out, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> they wanted to make him tall. And um, Charlie's like, oh, poor boy. And he's like, uh, Willy Wonka's like, nah, he'll be able to work on a basketball team. <laughs> and then there's... um. The round boy, the plump boy. I forget what happened with him. He's slimmer. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because all the juice has been squoze out of him. And then lastly, the gum chewer. What happens to her? No. So he um, he went through the pipe. That's why he's slimmer. That's why the plump kid and the gum Mm -hmm. chewer. Hmm. What did she do? Oh, they're covered in garbage. <laughs> yeah, her and her parents are covered in garbage. Yeah, because they okay, all went through the least, shoot. But the incinerator was not on, yeah. so at least they're alive. <laughs> yes, they're alive. <laughs> Mr. Wonka takes the great glass elevator back up above the city and tells Charlie he wants to leave his factory to him and have him run it. He is older. Mr. Wonka is older um, than many people think. He doesn't have any children or family, and he wants to leave his factory to a child who'd be willing to keep his factory afloat, as well as keep his Oompa Loompas. And that is the end of the story. Shall we take a quick (laughs) break? Yeah, sure. What are your final thoughts and would you recommend this book? I mean, there are so many children's books out there. I would never recommend this book to children um, because I just think there are better books out there. Uh, And it's just silly. I mean, that can be okay, I guess. (laughs) Um, I definitely, while I was listening to it on like an evening stroll, it was really fun. I had a great time with it. I laughed out loud. Um, but uh, I was reading this article um, from BBC about Raul Dahl and how he was very dark and likely hated children. He was like a vegetarian that ate really well. And he has this book fetishizing chocolate and another where like kids should like kill their parents to escape, you know, <laughs> a hard life or you know they should die so that they don't grow old what's his deal like what is this what's up with him and then the pygmies they were truly like you said supposed to be the oompa loompa were pygmy african um a, a tribe in africa and that's not cool i just think there are other books to give you that escape feeling however i laughed out loud when i was listening to it and if you get it from the library like no harm no foul i think i don't know what hidden messages it has for children um but as an adult it was like whatever it was fine it's really short also so um and if your parents read this to you as you were like falling asleep growing up i could see some nostalgia there Uh, Also, so in conclusion, uh, did I enjoy this book? Yes. Would I recommend it? I wouldn't even know who to recommend it to. So no. Uh, What about you, Alexis? Did you enjoy Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? And would you recommend it? Okay, so it's interesting. Um, I I thought it was um, hilarious. And as I'm listening to it, because I listened to it first and then I read it, I was like, this book is not for children. (laughs) It's so dark. It's not for children. If you (laughs) listen to the songs that, or excuse me, read the songs at the pygmy scenes, I don't want children to hear that. I don't. 
I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear children and hear about the starvation of a, a whole family. I don't want to hear oh, well, that. That's real. So maybe that will instill some appreciation for the things kids have in their family. No, this is mixed with fun. So no, <laughs> I'm going to save that. I don't. I I don't. I don't. And I like you agree. It's um a fun, um, lighthearted book to read. Um, I, I too, though, don't think it's for children. I wouldn't recommend it. But, you know, my adult friends, they might get a kick out of it. I think they would read it. So there is that. But I did laugh out loud with this book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's mindless and that can be OK sometimes. But um, yeah, there are some dark, like darker themes. We don't have to be too woke about it. But there are just other books out there that can teach kids lessons of appreciation and uh, respect for parents and um, still have fun with. And maybe we should put a list together. Uh, maybe we'll do that in the near future. <laughs> But anyway, that's it. So you enjoyed it, but would likely not recommend it unless you're an adult to other adults. To adults. (laughs) All right. Thank you. And that was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Raul Dahl. Alexis, what are we reading next week for our final book of the season? Will by Will Smith. That's right. We're continuing the tradition of having our final book be a celebrity memoir. Um, and we've chosen this one. So we'll see how it goes. I don't really want to hear any more about him and Jada. So I'm bracing myself. And they are um, over the news. You can't get it up. Leave us it. alone, y'all. <laughs> leave us alone, Smith family. Leave us alone. Um, but <laughs> we'll get into that next week. Thank you, Lou, for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We, we love, love you, you too. too. And if you loved, you know, the um, poem I wrote at the beginning of the show, you know, Alexis didn't have nothing to say about it. But let me know what you thought about oh, it. Oh, I'm a little um, woke. Also- I'm a little more woke now. I, I enjoyed it. And as I listened, I enjoyed it. If I could insert that great poem. All right. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. Visit LitSocietyPodShop.com to shop our handcrafted candles and Lit Society merch. And until next time, read read something. something.